mama called me on the phone asking if I'm still trapping. I'm like, no, ma'am. Heard the house still booming and he still gift rapping. No, I won't slow down. Mama called me on the phone asking if I'm still trapping. I'm like, no, ma'am. Heard the house still booming and he still gift rapping. No, I won't slow down. Welcome to the Radio. This is your usual co-host, Sean Newkirk, here. Uh, We are without Matt Lamar tonight, uh, but you should still be familiar with the podcast, uh, Royals Review, part of the SB Nation uh, series of blogs. We obviously cover the Royals and all things Royals-related. We have a few guests here with us tonight. Uh, Starting off will be uh, Editor-in-Chief, the Overlord, Max, Max Reaper. Max, how's it going tonight? Uh, it's doing great today. Thanks a lot, Sean. Yeah, good, good. Um, we've got two two fresh faces. Well, fresh voices, I guess they should be. Um, Gus Booth, uh, NHZ on the site. He does our ups and downs. Um, please call him Gus Booth. Don't call him NHZ. Uh, Gus, <laughs> how's it going? Uh, very good. I'm just going to be saying up arrow or down arrow <laughs> or that sideways thingy to every question that yeah. we get yeah. to Gus, do tonight. So. We really pay him the big bucks to do the hard work. Um also yep. got uh, Matt Jackson. Matthew or Matt? What do we like to go by? Matt? Matt? Uh, Matt's perfect. Matt's perfect. Uh, Matthew Lamar, we usually call I, usually, I don't know. Anyways, we'll call you Matt. That works if that's good for you, too. So good. Um, obviously, if you guys have been watching the games recently, uh, the Royals took a nice tight five-game series win, came down to even maybe the last couple innings of game five to really – uh, set apart as the winner there. I'm assuming everybody got to watch it there. Uh, maybe real quickly, uh, where did we watch it at, uh, fellas, uh, that game five? I was in uh, down the right field line. If Mike Moustakas had poked one just inside the foul <laughs> pole, I would have been in line to catch it. I think. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, I looked out some good seats. Um, I think we bought. I bought ours a couple weeks before the season ended. So, um, you know, I didn't think it would be a pivotal game five at all, but uh, yeah. I saw that you know, that during the eighth inning comeback in Game Four, the seat prices for around us like doubled. So oh. I'm, pretty, I'm glad we got them when we yeah. when we got them. So yeah, but it was it was a heck of a game to watch. You would have you would have Bartmaned the ball. You would have been Steve Bartman. <laughs> I wasn't that close. That close. I, was, I, I think actually I would have had to have someone have the ball bounce off someone else for me to have a, cat, a oh, chance okay. at it. But yeah, I would have interfered. Um, Gus, where'd you watch the game at? Um, I'm I'm in Massachusetts. I'm our East Coast representative, so I did not quite make it to the game. I yes. just I actually I had to work, so I got home and like I, I think I got home in like the fourth or fifth. It was whenever um, right after the Astros had taken the lead, and then of course proceeded to freak out during that rally. Yeah, like um, I mean, everyone was talking about. Um, I don't know if you guys saw the fan graph article from it's like almost a month ago by Jeff Sullivan that was talking about how the Royals are basically the best contact team ever if you adjust for the run environment. Right. right. So everyone was talking about, uh, you know, the BABIP ferry and all the luck that was involved in that rally and I just wanted to be like, no, but like... (laughs) That's sort of what they do. Like, maybe it's not as fun as watching the teams that can... that, you know, have... The Joey Bats and Carnacion and um, Donaldson in the middle of the lineup, but still, like that was pretty much the uh, prototypical Royals rally of 2014, 2015. So right, right. And uh, Matt, you're you're our Canadian correspondent. Uh, in fact, Matt <laughs> lives in Toronto, uh, the soon-to-be belly of the beast. There um, was the game on. Could you actually watch the Royals game, or what's going on up there? Did you get to catch it? Yeah, uh, actually, up here with MLB TV, I can sign on as an international user. Oh, yeah. 
much every game, so it's just part of the package that I bought at the beginning of the season, didn't have any problems. Like, actually, I realized at the end of the game that I hadn't moved from the couch for the better part of three hours, so... Nice. You know? Did you get uh, whatever it is, bed... I can't, I can't think about this. Whatever patients get when they lay in bed too long, like pregnant Bed sores? Bed sores. You get bed sores from sitting uh, too long? I think the bed sores that I already had just got worse. Okay, cool, cool. I just want to say how smart it is that... Uh, Matt in Toronto has more access to the Royals game than many Royals fans living in Kansas City. Yeah. Good move. Yeah. We've got to cater to this uh, tiny, tiny sliver of the fan base. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, perfect. Yeah. So it was a great series there. Um, any kind of an open question for anybody to jump in? Any maybe key takeaways from that series there? Um, I was very adamant. And I, you know, I'm always on Twitter, very adamant on Twitter. Um, about the pitching, I thought was just terrible. I, I know the offense was bad, but I think the pitching was the worst part of the series. Any kind of main takeaways that you guys saw that maybe are going to affect you know the upcoming series, or maybe just general anecdotes you, you've thought about? Uh, sequencing is important. Yeah. I mean, the, the Royals they were getting their base runners early in the series, but they were just stranding runners on, on scoring position every time chance they get, which was. You know, some people will attribute to them pressing. Some people will say they just weren't clutch, but it was probably just bad luck. You know, they weren't clump, clump, you know, uh, clumping their base hits together. And then, of course, they clumped them. Like, I guess they saved them all for the eighth inning of game four. Yeah. Because they just, I mean, that was just a hit barrage. And that's kind of what they do is the singles train gone wild. And it just kind of shows, you know, when you when you live by sequencing, you kind of die by sequencing, and the Royals almost died by it. Yeah. Luckily, they, they were kind of bailed out, as you said, because they're such a high-contact team. They can get some balls in play, get a little bit of luck with a bad bounce to Carlos Correa, and stay alive. And then in Game Five, I think, um, you know, I don't think their their offense was great until Candice Morales had that three run home run. But it was definitely enough to get the job done. And and uh, you know they got the clutch hits then. And so I think that was, you know, it's not the kind of formula I think it can be replicated in a lot of places. And it's I don't even know if it'll be replicated in the future here to give us success. But it certainly worked out when they needed it to. Yeah. And um, what do you guys think about the decision for Keuchel to come out? And I, I kind of said, you know what, teams really shouldn't base their choices on what you know ben, or what Madison Bumgarner can and can't do. But it kind of seemed pretty curious that to bring Keuchel out, and kind of the same thing with what Toronto did with David Price uh, a few days back. But do we? What do we think about that Keuchel move? Kind of out there, or maybe makes sense given the situation? I honestly thought it was like the only really. Bad. Well, sorry, not just the Keiko move, but just the, the way that the Astros handled the game five from the pitching perspective was yeah. like the only thing time in the series where Hinch kind of just blew it. Yeah. Like, I thought he had managed about as well as he could. And, like, I don't really think he could have done anything different for uh, the end of game four. Just, like, you know, he went with the right horses and they couldn't get anyone out for right. whatever reason. Yeah. And uh, the Keiko thing just felt like. They, you know, they just really wanted to get him in the game, but they brought. I thought they brought him in too late, and I thought fires in the fifth was like a low grade version of when Ned Yost brought in Jordano Ventura in relief <laughs> in yeah. that in the wild card game because sure. it was like, first of all, you know, I, you know, fires is actually pretty good, but like I wouldn't put his stuff on par with Ventura's, and he's coming out of the pen for the first time all year. I believe, and there were two men on, so like I, I thought that whole thing was pretty crazy. Like, I, it felt to be like Hitch kind of freaked out when uh, 
McHugh wasn't actually pitching like right, like he only struck out one batter in the four and two thirds innings. But that whole, uh, I I think that was the one time the whole series where the went like, well, that was kind of a situation where the manager really negatively affected his team's performance in the game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I saw McHugh from 400 feet away, so I didn't. You know, I don't have the perspective you guys did. I, I was, I was shocked that he got pulled so quickly. Was he just not locating well, or did he look like he was getting tired? Because he looked, I mean, he wasn't pitching great, but he wasn't pitching poorly. I thought. Was it something like on the broadcast they were just kind of surprised by as well? Yeah, because I mean, like he wasn't actually all that high in pitch count. I think. Um, just looking at it, but I think I think he was in the seventies, and he had that, like, he had that one thirty pitch inning. He was in the 70s, and, like, it's an elimination game, whatever. I mean, like, if you're the manager and you actually think that, like, you have a better chance of someone else getting three outs without, you know, more than just the runner on third scoring, I understand the quick hook, but just, like, Mike Fires was a very, was a baffling choice to me. Like, why would you go to a starting pitcher who has never pitched out of the bullpen all year long with people on base? Yeah. Well, especially with their, their bullpen problems the last month or so, like, you don't really want to go to that bullpen you know, that early, even with Fires and Keiko in there, you know, there's a Fires and a Keiko that aren't quite the same as, you know, they would regularly be. So, yeah, that was a curious decision to me, too. I, I, yeah, I agree that Pinch managed pretty well up until that point. Yeah, and and even with the kind of blow-up in Game 4 that the Astros had, it's not like the Royals are getting hits off of Jimmy Gobble, you know, Jimmy Gobble or, or someone. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's true. Sip is a great relief. I've always said the Astros have one of the best bullpens in all of baseball. Um, I would argue at least top five. And yeah, I mean, Sip got hit, Gregerson got hit, Harry. I mean, these guys are that's our version of you know not Wade Davis, but our version of Herrera, Davis Light, stuff like that. Our best relievers. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. Do we think that Yost has done a good job of managing uh, so far in those in the ALDS? I mean, aside from having Escobar leading off, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, that's a that's a big deal, I think. Yeah. Um, but other than that, he could, be a little, he could be a little quicker, I think, going to the bullpen. Um, and, yeah. And that's yeah, something he yeah. said that he would start do You know, I'm not going to fault yeah. him right now necessarily, but that's something he said that in the playoffs he, he's going to start doing. So I would like to see that, I think, at the minimum. Yeah, and I thought that the sending Terrence Gore to third, I think that was, that was kind of a – and yeah. I don't know, it's easy to say in hindsight because he was – caught you know with a weird play but there didn't seem to be that high of a payoff there because you know the only way you can score is on a wild pitch or base hit which yeah. is from second anyway so i didn't really see the, the payoff but that's kind of quibbling I yeah sure. that he's done a pretty okay job i think yeah right i'd say i haven't even really noticed him during the games at all which is probably the highest compliment you can play a pay yeah. managers that he just he hasn't been an issue at all he hasn't even been part of the narrative around this around the games which is you know that's a far cry from last year. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, so, of course, we know uh, Royals won the LDS against the Astros there. Uh, Max, you kind of mentioned it on Twitter, and I, I agree with you. Uh, Matt and Gus, I want to get your guys' idea. Uh, I, I think Max and I have Zobrist as the MVP for the ALDS if they gave out such a thing. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts? You, yay or nay? Or as, an up, as the ups and downs guy, uh, Gus, <laughs> up arrow or down arrow to that idea? Or I, I'd say that that would get an up arrow for me. I mean, um, the, I mean, he was even flashing some leather, and he's not a de- not. I mean, he's known more for the fact that he plays a bunch of different positions than being yeah. you know crazy good at them. And uh, I mean, he's been a huge shot in the arm, as uh, people mentioned when he came over. It's just it's 
basically just what the Royals needed to actually have some production coming out of that second base area because um, I, I don't even know, like, I don't even... Uh, it, whatever happened to uh, Omar Infante's Batman? <laughs> yeah, uh, I remember. I don't think we have very many people on the site, if anyone, who was actually rough on that contract at the time. Like I thought, think most people thought it was pretty decent, and his bat just died. So like, it's basically like having another hitter in the lineup to yeah. have Zobrist there. Right? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I Zobrist, you're right. I mean, I think Matt, you agree with Zobrist's MVP, or, or who's your go for that one, maybe? Well, after what I just read uh, about half an hour ago about um, Sal Perez's gastrointestinal problems throughout the there's nothing to do with him. Um, I'm just going to read a quick excerpt from Sam Mellinger's uh, article. Um, the worst ca- uh, came the night after game one. He thinks it was something he ate, though he can't be sure. Whatever it was, his body reacted wickedly. He lost track of how many times he threw up, and the diarrhea was worse. His stomach turned so much he had to run to the toilet so often that he could not fall asleep until 7 in the morning. Oh. And that was uh, before game two, and then he came out and uh, went two for three with a homer <laughs> and uh, basically loaded walk. I, 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 my, I, he had, took two walks as well, which was just, you know. Yeah. Uh, and he got and, in a car accident, and he got a, a, almost a concussion during the game, and he got a fastball in the ribs, and yeah. he had a tough series. Yeah, um, so uh, the two walks and... Uh, I mean, I think he had the highest OPS on the team throughout the series, two home runs. Um, for me, he's uh, he's definitely the MVP. Just try to imagine standing up there working the count while you've had diarrhea all week. It's just like, I'd want to swing at the first pitch every time. Yeah. I think that's what he didn't swing. He just didn't trust himself. <laughs> yeah, forget, you know what, forget Kirk Gibson's home run, you know, injured. Didn't home run when you've got diarrhea, and you get you're scared of running around the bases. Uh, all right, let's stop talking about this diarrhea thing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I I think if either Perez or Escobar actually had a pretty good game, but uh, I think the consensus will you know the key to the Sean Mania trade, as I call Ben Zobris, um, <laughs> was great. Uh, oh, I was totally gonna say sorry, but I was also gonna add on the uh, whole Yost managing thing. Like yeah. obviously we don't prefer. Escobar was not leading off because he's hit like you know someone had, his bat died in the second half. But I, I I did so there was one up ups and downs thing that I did like I think it was mid September or something like that, and I hadn't actually realized how long he had been that bad. And then like I looked up the stats after All Star break and he had like a you know sub five hundred OPS. Yeah. So like I wish that would change, but like that's just how Ned's always done things anyway. Yeah. I will say the other thing that I would add is like I think it's interesting that he went in terms of like seven, eight, nine, that he go he's going Herrera, Madsen, Davis, pretty much. Um, I I wonder if that gets flipped at any point. I guess I like I I I'm not sure where like I'm not sure what goes on in. Uh, Ned's head. It seems to work out pretty well, but I don't know which one is actually like how he how yeah. he decides which one is better for the eighth inning between Madsen and Herrera is sort of what I'm getting at. But yeah, and if you believe in the idea, well, you should believe in the idea. But uh, chaining, so like with reliever wins above replacement, when they calculate that, they use relief chaining there, um, just basically saying you know one reliever doesn't get full credit for it because there's somebody who's probably just as good right behind him. And I'm with you there as far as it's, it's not strange, but. It's curious that, you know, Sir Herrera was the seventh inning guy when there was Holland and Davis. Now there's no Holland. Davis is the ninth inning guy. So it would make sense that Herrera would go from seventh to eighth on the chain. 
Uh, but, you know, I, I don't know why, but yeah, it seems like Yost likes Herrera in the seventh for whatever reason it is. Uh, I think seven's like a number. No, I think it's seven's a lucky number in Japan, so maybe there's something <laughs> to do with that, but uh, I'm not sure. Uh, it could just be one fewer person uh, shifting roles as well, uh, rather than moving everybody up, moving somebody up. Because, I mean, uh, much was made of uh, Aaron Crow and yeah. uh, uh, last season, so. You know, he might still have some of that in the back of his mind and thinking, like, well, we'll move two guys instead of all three and keep one guy in the same role that he's had the whole time. Yeah, sure. Um, so, of course, winning the ALDS was great news. Now we get to play uh, the Blue Jays, the Royals do. Um, big ALCS and big kind of controversy from yesterday, or was it? Yeah, yesterday, um, was that Jose Bautista kind of bat flip. And really, it's not just that, but it's a combination of that and. <laughs> the 10 other things that the Royals and the Blue Jays have kind of gone through this year, you know, dating back to the other series. Um, and Donaldson is always kind of troublesome. Bad blood. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to feel pretty good to beat these guys if they do beat them. But I think across the board, we can all agree that, man, if there's one team we want to beat in the playoffs, other than maybe the Cardinals, it's probably the Blue Jays, right? <laughs> I'm so glad the Cardinals are out. Yeah. <laughs> Someone else could take the question first. I'm just smiling at about that. Matt, you're a Toronto guy. What's uh, what's kind of what's been going up on Toronto? It sounds like I know that maybe offhandedly we talked about kind of some bandwagoning, and that's everywhere. But Toronto fans are pretty into the Blue Jays this year. It sounds like. Yeah, um, the streets are just flooded with gear. Whereas, like maybe May, you'd see the odd game day shirt or hat on uh, the subway. Um, it's just everywhere. It's a, it's a sea of blue and. Uh, and not the right blue either. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like any other sports town. When your team's good, fans uh, can rally around it. When the team's not playing well, you know, it's pretty easy to forget about. Yeah. Um, but the fact that they're, uh, you know, the talk is still on Jays rather than the, the Maple Leafs, the hockey team that's so beloved here, is uh, a real testament to just how engaged the fan base is at this point. Yeah, and they're throwing beer cans. I mean, are they throwing beer cans on the street too or just at babies? No, we just we throw beer everywhere. Okay. Yeah, Roger Center is a it's a pretty notoriously rocket stadium looking. Um, pretty. Uh, I think it was the home opener in 2013. It was the paper airplane game where they were just. Uh, I was yeah. up in the upper deck in the 500s, and um, it was just paper airplanes uh, for the last four innings. I want to say um, beer cans were flowing there. There's. Uh, a call, I saw a police officer get a beer dumped on his head, and they just kind of retreated. They went in. Uh, it was voted one of the um, the most drunken stadiums. They've had their liquor license removed a couple times for um, rampant marijuana use in the, sta- in the stands. So um, it's it's a pretty wild place. It's calmed down a little bit in the last couple of years, but yeah. um, uh, we know how to have a good time, that's for sure. Well, they've, And they've also got the the windows for the hotel that numerous times people have been caught having um, intimate (laughs) relations in those windows during a game, which uh, sounds pretty rowdy, um, which kind of feeds into the why I'm really looking forward to hopefully beating the Blue Jays. And I think we'll have somebody from Bluebird Banner on on this podcast too coming up. So we can definitely talk about uh, Labatt Blue and and intimate relations at um, Rogers Center. That's all we're going to talk about. So, um, Coming up, topic. we've got Estrada. Looks like game one. Price game two. Not looking forward to game two with Price. Um, but Estrada, he, have the Royals announced who they're doing? Is it? It's Ventura, right? 
Volquez and Gale. Oh, it's Volquez tomorrow. Oh, wow. Yeah, then Ventura and then uh, Cueto. Okay, that makes sense then. Uh, so kind of that's kind of the the well, I guess Estrada's kind of their number two, or is Dickey? Oh no, Stroman's their number two. So it's kind of the battle of the three, four guys to to start game one. Um, that you know, not necessarily an interesting matchup, but I don't know. We'll, I guess we'll kind of see about that. But two is going to be the real battle of the aces, uh, necessarily. Looking forward to. Uh, of course, it'd be better to have Cueto than Ventura, but that's uh, the one. What game is that? What's that on Saturday, right? Saturday. That's the day game. It's yeah. a day game. Right, right. And it'll be here. Uh, any concerns going forward for the Blue Jays other than, you know, we'll leave out the home runs. We know that's obviously a big <laughs> thing they do. But what maybe worries you guys about the, the Blue Jays more so than, you know, any other team or the, that's coming up? I'm kind of more worried about Estrada than Price. I know that sounds weird to say, but, you know, the Royals have kind of handled the the fastball ace type pitchers pretty well this year. It's been the changeup guys, yeah. which Estrada throws like I think more changeups than almost anyone else in the league. Yeah. Uh, and and you know he's really turned his career around in Toronto. He's kind of become a different, you know, much more effective pitcher than he was in Milwaukee, where he's really more of a replacement level pitcher. So, um, I mean, I don't think the Royals should like be walking into that game thinking, hey, you know, we got Estrada, we'll knock him around because that I think he's a guy that's going to keep him off their off balance all game. So. It'll be important, I think, to get off to a good start in that game, and you know you'll see what you know. Take your chances with Price when he, when you get him, and then Stroman is uh, he's a guy I've I've really been high on a long time. Yeah. I think he's got some really electric stuff. Uh, but yeah, I think the Jays have they've got uh, they've got a you know they're known for their hitting. They've got a pretty good pitching staff, and the Royals are going to have to you know keep that offense going. Hopefully, you know they they scored 14 runs in their last 11 innings now, so they kind of they kind of have to keep that going to to keep up with the Blue Jays. I do think Estrada's um, a little bit ripe for the picking. I mean, he'd be a, he's an extreme fly ball pitcher, so um, if the Royals are going to get their home runs early, I think they've got a pretty decent chance of hitting them off of him. Um, and he doesn't really strike anybody out, and he walks a little bit more batters than average. So um, I, he's, he's been one of those pitchers. I think he's been one of the, the guys that's outperformed his fit uh, the most in the league this year. I think... Yeah, he's, I, I don't want to say it's been a mirage because he does have unconventional stuff, and you're talking about the changeup. He throws more changeups than fastballs, I think. Yeah. Um, so I, I think you know it's always a bit weird to see someone who's got such an unconventional approach to their arsenal. But um, you know, I think uh, if the Royals are going to have a continue the power for a little bit, I think that he's the guy that can do it do it again. Yeah, um, it's interesting looking at Estrada. Like, uh, first of all, you're right. He's like he's full 1.8 runs below his xFIP, and he's over a run below his FIP. <laughs> so he's he's been cruising. Like, if player does it all season long. Like, you hesitate to call it luck, but like you know, there's definitely something going on there that's a little bit smoke and mirrorsy. <laughs> and uh, he really hasn't like looking at his tendencies for pitch type like he has been throwing the like he has been sort of junk balling quite a lot but like I, I think I think it was Max who had the point I, I do think it is legitimate that the Royals don't necessarily handle that type of pitcher that well it's interesting just because I mean uh, I mean McHugh got pulled at the end of game five early obviously but he had only given up one run until the inherited runners came in and he handled the Royals pretty well in game one and yeah. like everybody had the Astro series was, of course, talking about the Keuchel um, and the Colors 1-2 when they came back to Houston. So, 
Not that those guys pitch badly. It's just yeah. it is an interesting thing. Like different it, on it. Yeah. I, I think that the Royals being such a good contact team, I think I, I wonder like how much of an advantage a guy who normally relies more on strikeouts has versus a pitcher who's not quite as good at missing bats. Yeah, and um, yeah, and we'll have more coverage kind of going forward here. We're going to have a quick podcast tonight. We really want to get on before the game. Um, I think we might have one between the break, the travel date there. Um, but this is just our little primer for the Blue Jays series coming up. Of course, our website, Royals Review, we're going to have a ton more Blue Jays, Royals-related material, any pop culture, anything good that happens, we're obviously going to cover it. Um, I want to give quick shout-outs to everybody that, of course, joined me tonight. Uh, Max Reaper. Max, you can find his Twitter, uh, M-A-X-R-I-E-P-E-R, Max Reaper. Uh, Max, thanks for joining me here tonight. Thanks a lot, guys. And uh, we've got Gus Booth, of course. Uh, you can find him, uh, Commissar Taco. Um, <laughs> not, I don't think it was a real name of uh, historical commissar, <laughs> but that's that's Gus. No, I just, I just like tacos and uh, 40K, and they came together in glorious screen name union. And nice. That's basically the story. And we'll, I, I guarantee you in the offseason, we'll talk more about tacos. Um, and then awesome. we've got uh, Matt. Matt Jackson as well came on with us. You can see Matt. You can not see Matt. You can interact with Matt on Twitter. Um, I, I can't ever pronounce the end of yours. What is your Twitter? Uh, it's Jack Sonkigu. It's a play on uh, a type of accent that's on a French letter called the accent you. So, All right. I'm gonna let, yeah. All right. Well, that's that's enough, Matt. That's enough from you. We'll leave that alone. <laughs> um, anyway, you can find Matt on Twitter. Yeah, Jackson A I G U. Jackson T A I G U. Um, and all, of course, all of our information is on our masthead, uh, fellas. Thanks for joining me here tonight. Um, we'll keep going with the Royals here. Let's win in uh, second consecutive ALCS. Uh, any last words or anything for everybody? All right. I'll Take Thanks a lot. Time. Yeah, take signs as an L. It All was right. a blast. Yeah. Go Royals. Yeah, go Royals. Go Royals. All right, Win folks. the baseball games. We will uh, <laughs> score the points. Have do the thing. Do the thing. Hit the homers. Uh, hit the babies with beer cans. Um, yeah, it was a nice swing. I don't they really put a lick on that kid. Yeah. Uh, all right. That was so sad. Have many, uh, many good days, everybody, and we will see you soon. Lift up. Lift off, taking my coat off, showing my tattoos, I'm such a show off, huh, I feel the plan and then roll off. Welcome back to uh, the second half of the Royals Review Podcast, Royals Radio, I guess what we're calling it. I was going to say we don't have a cool name for it, but we kind of do, Royals Radio, so uh, welcome back. Um, we had Max on a little earlier, Editor-in-Chief Max, the uh, lead writer for... Uh, Royals Review. Um, still joined by Gus and Matthew. They're well refreshed. Um, they've you know got their beverages in their system. They've went to the bathroom. Ready they're to good. go. They're good to go. Yeah, they're ready to to go forward. So again, Gus and Matthew, um, not Lamar uh, Jackson, are with us here, and we're joined by Scott Cook, Cook with an E, uh, <laughs> from Bluebird Banter. Uh, Scott, you're one of the, I think. Your the masthead was broken down into like a couple different sections, but safe to say you're kind of one of the core guys who writes often at the site, right? Yeah, I would say I'm probably in the number two area, along with a couple other guys. Cool. How long have you been at Bluebird Banter for? 
Uh, it's coming on three years now as a writer, and then I've probably been around for seven years as just a lurker. Yeah, and my dogs are right now going to want to start messing around. Okay, um, so at, at Bluebird Banner there, by the way, which is the uh, Blue Jays SB Nation blog, um, you know, the Blue Jays equivalent of Royals Review for those of you who uh, are in the know there. Um, Bluebird Banter, you've been there for quite some time there. Um, tell us a little bit about... The Blue Jays, you know, we know they hit home runs, but is there maybe something that you think the Blue Jays are maybe underrated about or maybe what you would want everybody to know about the Blue Jays, just maybe in general? Well, I think the narrative in the postseason so far has been about how the Blue Jays are just slugging the home runs, and if they don't hit home runs, they're not going to win games. But I think probably the underrated part is their defense. They've got Donaldson, Tulowitzki, Kevin Pillar, and they've all played uh, pretty amazing defense, which actually was completely absent in the first two games of the series. But it kind of came back as they won the last couple of games. So I feel like that's kind of being overlooked, which will be pretty key, I would say, because I was looking at the Royals today, and they're far and away the best defensive team in the league. So I think it should be a pretty good matchup for fielding, aside from just all the offensive, because everyone knows about the sluggers the team has. It's their bread and butter. But I think they're still pretty good at defense. Yeah, and they're starting, um, for those of you who are listening and you know maybe haven't kept up the news, they're starting Estrada, uh, that Marco Estrada recently acquired from the Bre- the Brewers? I think the Brewers, yes. Yep. Um, and David Price. Um, we were talking on the podcast, the earlier segment, that the Royals are starting Volquez, uh, Blue Jays are starting Estrada. Not that it's an underwhelming game one matchup, but you know that's kind of a battle of the number three guys, three-ish guys. Um, that's the right move, though. I mean, rather than David Price on four days rest, you think give him an extra day and start Estrada first, right? Or um, is there an alternative you'd like there? Yeah, no, I agree with you. I was thinking about that earlier today, too. It's just kind of the way it worked out. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw, but David Price was kind of started in a game, relieved a game, it just yanked yeah. around in the last series, and there's no way they could start him on that short of rest um, for game one. And Strowman pitched in game five, so really... The choice came down to um, Estrada or maybe R.A. Dickey. But Estrada's been good this year somehow, so he's a pretty good guy to start. And then I guess uh, the big guns, Stroman and Price, will come out after that. Yeah. So it's, it's a pretty good one through four, I would say. Throughout the year, actually, the Blue Jays, their um, rotation was pretty shaky, but it's coming into its own in the last couple of months. So it should be a, should be a good game one. Really, every time Estrada goes on the mound, uh, Blue Jays fans have no idea what's about to happen, but it's been good so far. So I'm looking forward to it. What um and what do you think about that? Because I uh, on Twitter, I, that's where a lot of my hot takes are at. They're on Twitter, and I was very not unhappy, but I kind of questioned Gibbons. It was like six to nothing. I I think it was in the Rangers game, and they had Price warming up what the day before, and then six nothing happens in Game Four, and they're like. Okay, well, now let's bring Price in. And it was like the sixth inning. Well, were you okay with that decision? Or maybe what was going on in Gibbons' head? You know, that obviously- uh, I don't think anyone actually knows. He, he never really offered a very good explanation. <laughs> no one understands why it happened. Even the most casual fans watching the game were like, uh, I don't think this is supposed to happen, is it? And, uh, yeah, I... There was no lefties in the bullpen because uh, Brett Cecil had been hurt. Yeah. Then Aaron Loop was gone. Uh, he's had some family issue where he missed the last couple of games. So Gibbons said Price was the only lefty in the bullpen. They needed to use him. Um, 
there was like a bunch of lefties coming out. But it was like a six, seven run game or yeah. whatever it was. And fifty pitches. Yeah, yeah. It for a while. Yeah. It wasn't even it wasn't even uh just get a couple lefties, it was go three innings. And he got beat up too. He I think he allowed three runs or something. Yeah. It was yeah. just strange. And then I guess the conspiracy theory that became popular was that the Blue Jays decided they want Marcus Stroman starting game five. The only way to avoid any controversy yeah. is to make Baby Price throw 50 pitches the game before. <laughs> and it worked. But if, like, if Stroman imploded in game five, everyone would have called for Gibbons head. People already were calling for Gibbons head for not having Price available. Because really the bullpen, especially the lefties, against the Rangers are pretty lefty heavy. So... If Stroman struggled, uh, the Jays really had no option to get the lefties out. So luckily, it worked out somehow. But yeah, it was a weird decision. Yeah. Oh, go I'm ahead. just wondering if there's maybe something wrong with Price. But he, like, starting on three days rest should be a big deal for him, you know? Well, um, I'm just um, why he's not starting game one. I, I, I feel really, really expected to be. Sorry, I don't, I I don't want to cut you off, but is that. Wasn't game four on. Wasn't game four of that series on Monday, so wouldn't that put a three days rest for him now? Or am I wrong? Is my math wrong? Uh, if he starts... Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. So Monday counts as one, so yeah, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That's four, right? No, no, because, like, he pitched on Monday, I mean, so, like, Tuesday, yeah. Wednesday, Thursday, oh, Friday. Yeah, it's still just 50 yeah. pitches. I mean... But the day yeah. before that, he had warmed up hard for two innings. That's and then true. And start before that. It was just... And then even Gibbons, when uh, Price said after Game 4 that he was available for Game 5, and then Gibbons uh, at about the same time said he wasn't available. So then everyone was wondering, does anyone actually know what's going on? And then Gibbons said something about how Price is a free agent, he's done too much for us to uh, kill his arm. Yeah. So it was just a strange, all of it was really strange. And luckily the Jays moved on, because if they didn't, it would have been a really bad situation for Gibbons up here. Yeah, moral hazard was going to be. I was wondering if it was maybe a bit of that where Gibbons, and you know, maybe he wouldn't intentionally say this, of course, but be like, you know what, we're going to get every sec, every single pitch we can get out of David Price in any situation. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's gone in you know less than probably three weeks from now or however long in November if at the latest. So yeah, I mean, it doesn't sound like it was moral hazard, but it was yeah, really curious and kind of overall on uh, John Gibbons. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with John Gibbons, uh, former Royals bench coach uh, before Dave Owens, um, and was released from the Blue Jays, or under, sounds like maybe sh- not shady terms, but um, ambiguous-like terms a couple years back. Uh, am I right on that, Scott? Or was there a, a reason he was fired, necessarily? Uh, uh, yeah, he lost the clubhouse big time. Okay. Uh, he was threatening to fight players and people were just the team had given up and he he could never stay like he was considered a good manager but all the stuff that happened he had to go so okay. and then they of course brought him back um after what Sider Culver and then um John Farrell left for the Red Sox um wait, did I get that right he left for the Red Sox yeah yeah he, okay. he forced out for his dream job which is still right. a, a rough sentence to hear for Blue Jays fans sure um, but yeah, back now. Yeah, and now he's back with them. What What are the thoughts? Happy to have him back. You know, I guess what we're three years in. It, it sounds like. Um, what's changed at least from you know ten years ago or so, whenever he was the manager. What's different now, or maybe is anything changed? Are we happy to have him back? Are you happy? Uh, yeah, to have him back? I, I think most Blue Jays fans are. Um, 
when he came, he said, everyone asked him that question, what's changed? Why are you going to like basically stop fighting players? And he said that he's learned over the years how to better, um, better handle a clubhouse and be a better manager. And it's definitely showed. It hasn't just been talk. Yeah. Every, uh, every single player say they love him. He's a player's manager. He, uh, he, obviously, fans don't... His bullpen management sometimes is questionable because he likes to roll with the guys. And uh, I guess if the guys... He respects them. He plays them even when he shouldn't be. And uh, that's the players love him for it, but the fans that are on the outside obviously yeah. would prefer just to play the matchups more. But when David Price got traded here, after a couple of days, apparently he said that Gibbons was his manager, like he loves him. Okay, which I guess is good for a free agent. But yeah, see if that actually matters at all when the money comes. But yeah, what um, so is that maybe is that the kind of the book on Gibbons? The book on Yost is he's. Yeah, you know he likes his he likes his qualitative stuff more than his quantitative stuff. He's much more of a this is by the book. You know this guy's really pitching. He's on a roll. So even if it's the eighth inning when I should take him out, or I'll put this reliever in when I want to strike out, stuff like that. He's very not so much um, you know free thinking. He, he's almost the anti maybe Joe Madden as you could say. Uh, what's the kind of book on on Gibbons in a way? There any sounds like bullpen usage is kind of his um, maybe his bad point or his focal point for that or yeah he uh he makes a lot of questionable bullpen choices he leaves starters in he always there was last year the narrative was that he left R.A. Dickey in always uh one inning too much and this year it's he's thrown Aaron Sanchez who is cannot really get left-handed pitchers or hitters out at all and he's just made uh Aaron Sanchez the eighth inning guy regardless of the hitters that are coming up that was frustrating mm-hmm. And um, I feel like he's definitely more qualitative as well. And all the quantitative would just come from the front office because usually uh, when the front office realizes something is wrong, then Gibbons straightens up and starts listening. So that's good at least. He's not too stubborn. But, yeah, he's he's a typical baseball manager. He's more focused on his players, and he lets all the statistical guys worry about that, which you can't argue about because all the players love him. So. Not what, a bad it, it, kind of speaking of front office, um, Anthopoulos, I feel like, is one of the – I'm saying that right. It's Alex Anthopoulos, right? Or Antonopoulos? Yep. Anthopoulos. Anthopoulos, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's kind of – you know, I know Date Moore. You know, we know everything about him kind of. But it feels <laughs> like as far as the GMs go, Anthopoulos is kind of up there with the, uh, like the Theo Epsteins, the guys that even if you really maybe don't follow baseball uh, you know, to a, a specific tee – He's still one of the kind of more higher name popular GMs, just kind of in name value. And maybe it's due to um, – and I'm trying to figure out how to say this. So it seems like the problem with Anthopolis wasn't necessarily ideas, him missing this or going against the grain. Has money been an issue for the Blue Jays? I, I know they're owned by you know Rogers, which is like the largest telecommunications company maybe in the world or up there at least. Is that kind of what's been holding maybe Anthopoulos back all these years, or is it a decision-making process, or kind of general thoughts on Anthopoulos at all? Uh, yeah, there's been lots of debate about if Rogers really, if they limit, if there's a hard cap to their spending, and the higher-ups say there isn't. Anthopoulos says every year there's like a leak in a story that he actually was restricted and he's not allowed to make. Uh, Paul Beast in the club man or the club president story. Uh, has always had a rule that no one signed for longer than five years, oh, okay. which angers uh, fans greatly. But he's leaving this year, so we'll see after. And uh, 
Anthopolis has done pretty well with what he's had. When he burst onto the scene, uh, was promoted to GM, he, he did some wonder, just uh, just great trades. Got rid of the Vernon Wells contract. Yeah. yeah. Uh, managed his farm to about the best good as you can get. And then this year, after the 2013, he basically laid his job on the line in 2013 with the Dickey deal and the Marlins deal. And they both didn't really work. Yeah. And so everyone considered him done. But then uh, the higher-ups gave him another chance this year. And he essentially showed he had built a farm for so long. And then this year, it looked like he just decided, I'm going to lose my job if I don't use this farm. So he shipped out uh, all the prospects he had. And a lot of people were saying, if they don't make the playoffs or if they don't go deep in the playoffs, he's done. But obviously, it all worked out. And he should be back for a long time, which is good because... There's nothing better than him, really, I don't think, in the league. Sure, and he is, yeah, and he's always one of those guys that kind of how Jack Z out in Seattle was. It's like, you know, everybody kind of maybe liked Jack Z, had a really maybe longer rope than he should have been allowed, and I think Dayton Moore has a longer rope than he should have been allowed. But it seems (laughs) like, you know, Alex has always been one of those guys that has had a very long rope necessarily. Uh, It's been like, okay, results next year, results next year. And then, yeah, they're finally in it, and especially since he kind of went forward with the prospects and – um, I know it was pretty sensitive. I'm I'm a big Noah Syndergaard fan, and I, um, to fill you in, I cover prospects for the. I, I like to think that I'm our website's like main prospect guy, and that's the majority of kind of what I like to talk about. Um, and so I was a big Syndergaard fan. Um, didn't like Darno that much, but what did you think about kind of that trade at the time, the Dickey trade? You know, you're getting the Cy Young winner from the previous year, um, but I think a lot of people thought that the Dickey was kind of maybe not a one-year wonder, but they were thinking, okay, he kind of broke out. He's a knuckleballer. Uh, were you for or against that trade uh, some years back? Um, without context, I was against it, but yeah. in context of what they had just done with the other deal, it definitely made sense. They were clearly going all in in the next two years. So in that sense, I liked it. But then looking back all these years later, as Syndergaard is pitching the playoffs right now, yeah, right now, right? And Dickey's a four-star Turner. Yeah, and Dickey's a four starter. That's he did well this year, yeah. but to give up what they did from, ah, I don't know. Yeah, and that's and has that ever been? And maybe that's a curious thing to think about is that um, with the Royals, one of their weak spots is developing pitching. I feel like with the Blue Jays, not that I, I feel like they're a little more hit and miss. Not not more hit and miss than the Royals. The Royals are almost all miss, but um, <laughs> the Blue Jays. First of baseball. Yeah, and. I feel like the Blue Jays kind of pitching as far as the minor league depths have been a lot of kind of hit and miss. Um, am I, I, I'm not talking crazy. Am I right on that at all, Scott, while my dog barks in the background? or? Uh, yeah, well, the thing is they just draft pitching galore, high school pitchers, college yeah. pitchers, and Anthopolis did that for years and years. So I guess from that point of view, you're going to see hits and misses. But just with the amount of quality they had, like uh, the last couple of years, the top ten prospects are almost all pitching. Yeah, and now it's kind of changed. Anthopolis has drafted some position players at all right, but then he traded some of them away. So it's uh, I don't know. Yeah, he, they definitely are pitching heavy, and then they worry about acquiring um, offensive players just from around the league. Yeah, because I was thinking, because I mean, um, uh, gosh, I'm totally blanking on what's his name. That dang it, that Brent Amaro, uh, Brent Amaro. Was always one of those guys oh, that man. that guy was <laughs> yeah, all over the place. Yeah, huge name. I mean, everybody, you know. And I'm just thinking, it kind of, it feels like the majority. And looking at like their 
prospect list, yeah, I mean, it's just Sanchez, Ozuna, Stroman, Nolan, Norris, and then you've got Morrow, Syndergaard, um, uh, what's-his-name that just got traded for Tulowitzki. It's it's a lot of pitching, um, and that's always seemed like maybe that sounds like it's a philosophical idea throughout the organization just to draft pitching, but you said that they're moving away from that kind of more so now, right? Yeah, a little bit. Not too much. Like, still, um, they drafted Jeff Hoffman, Hoffman. recently. Yeah, that's right. But then they traded him away to Colorado, so we'll never know what comes of him. But, um, yeah, their, top, their farm now is it's pretty bare. It's not horrible, but what they were, like, a couple years ago, everyone just loved watching the minor league teams because the, the big league team was not good. And now, basically, all the chips are in yeah. on the major league team. There's no real quality prospects. And uh, it's a def- it's like a it's a different feeling for the Blue Jays because they've always been a team that are always looking towards next year. Toronto sports as a whole is kind of like that, so it's definitely a different feeling now. Where this is the year, maybe next year they're good, but after that it could be dark times. So sure. yeah, it's interesting. pretty familiar. Yeah, and I can't. Yeah, I, I just obviously want to let Scott talk way more than me, but I was going to say earlier the uh, the whole situation with. Um, you know, if we make a run into the playoff, if we don't make a deep run into the playoffs, then the GM is gone. Is basically, I kind of that was where the Royals were in 2014 season, let's say. So the uh, you know the whole Shields trade stuff, and obviously the Royals knew that there was something wrong with Will Myers' wrists. So <laughs> yeah, and but uh, mm-hmm. I, go ahead. No, sorry, guys. I was I was just gonna. Segue it. So, no, go ahead. If you continue, yeah. Uh, I kind of lost my train of thought. I was okay. Thinking, no, I'm with you, though. You're right. So, yeah, the Royals kind of, you know, went with that similar. And maybe there's more some more similarities with the Royals did go pitching heavy with, you know, Duffy, Dwyer, um, uh, Montgomery, um, all, you know, all these pitching prospects, and then they all busted. And not that the Blue Jays did the same, but – a lot of theirs have been traded away, have been injured, or simply promoted. I mean, thinking of their top prospects going into the year, Norris was promoted, Sanchez or Norris was traded, uh, Sanchez promoted, Pompey um, promoted, Pentecost was hurt, Hoffman traded, Travis traded. So I mean, really, a lot of those guys. It's not that it's similar to how the Tigers' philosophy works, where it's not that these guys. It's not as if these are bad draft picks or anything. But the Tigers, they use their minor league team as trade chips. And that, yeah. that, that's kind of – that can be why you draft – I mean, it doesn't mean that you've got a bad system because you're, you guys don't work for your team if they work to get other players. And it seems like at least that's sort of been the Blue Jays' philosophy a bit this year is we can use these pieces to go get Troy Tulowitzki um, or, um, you know, when they traded away Daniel Norris, you know, things like that. So, yeah, I, I, does that sound pretty reasonable, Scott, or what do you think? Yeah, it definitely is. They, uh, Anthopolis came up as a, on the scouting side. I know it would have killed him to trade away all these prospects because he always loved um, going out to games and watching them. Yeah. But I think he realized it doesn't matter if I have prospects. I'm about to get fired. So he basically went all in. All in. Because if he didn't make it this year, they were going to give up. There's a new um, like higher-ups, new front office coming in, new club president and stuff. And they, they could have just gone with someone else because Anthopolis hasn't, He's built up a farm, but that's all he's done. So yeah. he finally got something to show for it. And yeah. you can see in uh, all the celebrations, he's running the field with the team. He he loves just how the team's succeeding because they've been bad for so long. So it's really cool to see. 
And what's and I, you've kind of mentioned it twice now. What's the change? That is there is there a reason this change is coming? Did Rogers hands up and down, or, or what's going on there? Uh, yeah, Beeston, the president's been with the team forever and ever, and he's finally retiring. And there was a little he was going to do it last year or during this off season, and they were looking for Dan Duquette um, from the Orioles. They were yeah. trying to sign him, and uh, the Orioles were asking for Hoffman actually for um, oh that's right yeah yeah for Duquette, which was nuts. No Blue Jays fan yeah. thought that a, pro- a president would bring that sort of a deal. Um, and then they're bringing for Duquette would have been insane. Yeah, so now they're bringing Shapiro from the Indians instead, who has said that Anthopolis is his guy, and uh, he's going to change the five-year deal, apparently, like the five-year rule for deals, which is good news. So it seems like good things are coming for the Jays. Because didn't the Jays, they swapped uh, David Carpenter, or Mike Aviles, for, for, I mean, it wasn't even close. Like, yeah, Farrell for Hoffman is insane, considering that Hoffman was, what, like the fifth or... No, he fell down in the draft, but he was one yeah, of Yeah, he was supposed to be the first pick if he didn't go undergo Tommy John, yeah. and then the Jays took a chance on him. Yeah, and that's... And then he brought in uh, Tulowitzki, so... Yeah, yeah. Right. So that... I, I, yeah, Tulowitzki definitely has more impact on a baseball field than Dan Duquette, I would say, so it yeah. was a good... How do you feel about... Uh, were you pretty pumped back in, you know, July 31st, if you could kind of step back to that, um, acquiring, what, Price and Tulowitzki in a span of, you know, three, two or three days, or however quick that happened there? Was it... You pretty pumped for that, and kind of the overall thing, or um, you know? And I'll just say this: when as a Royals fan, when we got Zobers, I was happy, but we traded away Sean Maniah, who was my favorite prospect. So I'm like, great to have Zobers, but we're trading him for a free agent. And Tulowitzki's not a free agent, but David Price is. Do you think that you know David Price has been great in the playoffs? Where you, it sounds like you're probably pretty positive. I feel like the vibe overall for the Blue Jays fans it was pretty positive picking up Price and Tulo, even for the cost. Uh, yeah, I actually will remember this as long as I live. I was actually in Europe at the time, so I would, I, due to the time change, I woke up to notifications pretty much every day that the Blue Jays <laughs> traded another part of their organization for a, a star. So I feel like it's pretty consensus. It was split at the time. A lot of people like the Tulewiski deal because it's long-term. Yeah. They traded up big, but they got a long-term. Mm, it's pretty split on David Price, to be oh, honest, okay. surprisingly. They traded some good arms for him, and if he doesn't help this year, there's, I don't, I, some people are optimistic he comes back to the Jays, but I would say it's less than 5%. Yeah. Because they don't, there's teams with more money than them, and yeah. they're going to throw it at him. So, yeah. um, in the context, again, uh, you always have to use context for these trades. I would say the price deal was good. At the time, I hated it. I wrote a piece about how Anthopolis basically gave up everything to save his job. I'm obviously eating my words now because it worked out. <laughs> sure. Um, but, yeah, it's what you have to do in this day and age in the MLB, I would say. You just – sometimes you have to go all in, and it sucks for people that love prospects like us to see this, but it's what had to be done. And, uh, yeah, it worked out okay, so I can't yeah. complain too much. Yeah, um, and the Chulewitzki trade, you know, I, I and it makes sense that was unanimous because, yeah, I mean – Long term, and he got rid of Jose. It's not like they kept Jose Reyes and kept Tulo. Yeah. When you saw that Tulo Reyes trade, um, pretty pump. I feel like I would be pretty pumped to be getting rid of that Jose Reyes contract and then getting Tulo back in it. But you know, I, you had to give up Hoffman and other pieces. But it seems like getting rid of uh, Reyes has been an upgrade for the, just the team overall, contract wise and on the field. No. Yeah, it was wild. It was, it's almost like a salary dump and an upgrade at the same time, yeah. which is pretty rare. Um, 
Yeah, and he's signed for years and years to come, and he's, he hasn't shown a bunch of decline, although with the Jays, he hasn't been so good offensively. But fans are already tiring of Reyes. He was happy all the time, but that's about all he brought. Like, the yeah. defensive side of the ball, he had no range. He was uh, losing at the plate. He was aging, getting paid a bunch of money. And he was one of the last guys still left over from the 2013 deal with the Marlins. Yeah. And uh, it was kind of just a good turning of the page to get rid of him. It sucked for a lot of people because people thought Hoffman obviously was going to come up after recovering from Tommy John and just uh, tear it up. But it's uh, it's a price you have to pay. They bet on a sure thing instead of five years down the line with Hoffman. Yeah. So you can't complain too much and uh, hopefully too low. He hasn't played that well. He got hurt um, a couple months ago, so but he hasn't hit too well with the team. He's got dropped to six in the order. But he should come around. He's a good hitter, so yeah. he should come around eventually. And, and it's just a very small sample size on that. And let yeah. me see, and just so the listeners are aware. Yeah, with the Blue Jays, he's got a 91 uh, WRC plus for those who like the advanced metrics. Uh, so 9% below league average hitter. But his BABIP is about you know 20 or 30 points below his career. So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely some optimism to look there. And it's not, you know, really good hitters don't turn into really poor hitters overnight unless they yeah. lose an arm or something. The was, injury was pretty fluky, too. Right? Yeah. Like, it's not like something that they're thinking is like, it wasn't a long, it, you know, a recurring thing. Wasn't it a collision or something like yeah, that? Yeah, he was, he was backing up into the center field and Kevin Pillar, who, if any ball is close to him, he's going to run it down. So he would just charge right into Tulewitzki. And it ended up, I think, fracturing a bone. So he was out for a little while. But it's it's not anything that should ever come up again. So I think the yeah, narrative... Yeah, shoulder blade, right? Uh, yeah, around that area. Because he got uh, Pilar's... He has a pretty defined chin, and he got it right in his back. So, <laughs> um, yeah. He has center fielders with less defined chins. Yeah. Yeah, that's that uh, underappreciated asset. Um, the beard at more protection. Yeah. And trades that... Maybe, you know, I, I don't know. So trades that, not that they were underappreciated, but <clears throat> trade of the year, trade of maybe maybe the decade um, so far, has been the Donaldson trade. Um, yeah. <laughs> Donaldson has gone from, you know, no name to MVP candidate, uh, nine almost nine-win player for the Blue Jays this year, which, by the way, for those who aren't aware, Mike Trout, you know, was a nine-win player this year. Um uh, so just been unanimously awesome. And sure, what was it? What did they give up for Donaldson? Do you remember, Scott? Yeah, they gave up Brett Laurie, who was yeah, uh, the third right. baseman. He was a huge fan favorite because he's Canadian. Yeah, right. But he 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 couldn't stay on the field for 160 games a year because he was just jumping into camera wells and running into people, <laughs> and he was just so much energy. And people loved him, but as a third baseman, I don't know if that's really who you want to roll with as a franchise third baseman. Yeah. And then they gave up um, Sean Nolan, who was right. a lefty starter. Who, right. He's alright, he's a fourth or fifth starter. And Kendall Graveman, who was the same sort of thing. And then Franklin Barreto, who was going to be the star shortstop coming up through the J system. And he's he's been good. So that's real. that could come back to bite them, but when you look at what they got in return, you really can't argue too much. Yeah, and um, that was one that I remember thinking at the time that, you know, usually Billy Bean's the the side that wins trades. And, yeah, Brodo's been really good. Um, I think he's easily going to be a top 100, could even be a candidate for top 50, I'd imagine, prospects, uh, yeah. which was kind of always wait for him to just turn it on on the Blue Jays organization for the most part, which he, you know, eventually did, and he's super young. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's one of those that when you first saw it, you know, it didn't burn. It wasn't like Mike Trout got traded, 
but a player of Mike Trout's value was traded, which might be, and that's just my off-the-cuff idea, that that might be trade of at least the past, definitely trade of the year. Might be trade of the past several years. I can't think of any better return on value than a team's gotten than with Donaldson. Yeah, it was it was pretty amazing. And at the time, fans fans don't watch a ton of Oakland A's baseball, I would say, in Toronto. So they were skeptical if he was just a one-year or two-year wonder. But obviously, he's become a fan favorite. Yeah. And really, the only downside is that in arbitration, he's going to cost an arm and a leg for the yeah. next couple of years. Yeah. Because he's, he's going to he'll probably be above $10 million already. And uh, I believe he's a Super 2 player, and yeah. this is his second year. So it's going to be trouble in a couple of years. But if that's the only downside of a trade, you can't complain too much. Yeah. yeah. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, um, yeah, I mean, what you said earlier about uh, relative no-name, mainly just because he was in Oakland and Oakland, you know, other than Oakland crashed out of that wild card game, obviously, so they were defending that year. But, like, they don't get a ton of national exposure, but he was actually at... What, like over seven wins in 2013, over six wins in 2014. Yeah. So it's, it's not like, not like it wasn't really good there. You yeah, take true. a player with that kind of power swing and you take him out of the Oakland hitting environment. Uh, good things happen. He got better. Yeah. I, I think, I think it's also one of those, I think we've seen this a little bit more in recent years with the MLB is that, um, what with people sort of understanding more and more that the playoffs are just kind of a crapshoot. Like they're obviously winning reasons that you win and lose but there there isn't any sport i think in that uh where the postseason is less games proportionally to the regular season than baseball and i think people have just sort of realized that like if you can take your shot you might as well go for it i mean what's the next time the blue jays are gonna have we're gonna have two guys like batista and encarnacion in the lineup and then they add the third guy there because hey, you know, you might as well go for it while those guys are still in their prime or late prime. Exactly. Yeah, um, and kind of real quick, speaking of Donaldson, he's one of those guys that uh, I I know that I've posted several Donaldson-related GIFs, uh, GIFs and videos uh, of the hair. some of his antics, as we can say. <laughs> Do people like Josh Donaldson? And I, I try to say this, and, even, and we're going to keep talking kind of just a bit about players do or don't like, but... Do people like Josh Donaldson in Toronto? Not just for the not the player, Josh Donaldson, but the person, Josh Donaldson. Uh, yeah, I would say so. Toronto sports is kind of they if their player is good, they're gonna love them. It's the same with like Vince Carter or Batista or <laughs> yeah, pretty much anyone. So like, I don't think fans like are obsessed with his personality or anything. But when you play like he does, yeah. he's become just a fan favorite based off that. Okay. I don't think anyone really cares. He's not like the most outgoing guy or the most exciting like uh, Marcus Stroman or even Jose Batista, but yeah. he's uh, he's definitely a fan favorite now just because of how amazing he's played performance wise. And yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I I was just thinking of the when he and the Angels pitching coach got in a fight. I was just thinking that's kind of one of those. It's like guys get a bad reputation. You think that you know, oh man, this guy's a jerk. But it does help. You know, it does help that Kansas City Royals have had jerks who are terrible players. But it does yeah. help that Donaldson, maybe he's a jerk, but is a great player. I mean, a very great player. And yeah. jerk might be strong, but he is a guy that's very, um, very outspoken. You know, very exaggerated moves. I guess. Yeah, he definitely he definitely plays heated. He's yeah. another guy like if he's on a different team, you don't really enjoy watching him because he's just you don't you just don't like seeing him because he's yeah 
he's not the most uh, modest person in the game. But obviously, when he's playing for your home team, you kind of ignore all that and get behind him. So yeah. it's the same with Batista, really. They both uh, they both like to show off. But as a Jays fan, you love to see it. So it's hard to complain. Now, speaking I think of... The one in, sorry. No, go ahead, Gus. Yeah. I keep doing that. But I think the 1-29er is the hockey term for players like that. Like you, Meaning, like, fans of the team that's got him love him and everyone else dislikes him. So. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, was, I was gonna. Uh-huh. I, if you don't mind, I was gonna ask Scott because I remembered what I for, what uh, what uh, uh, went down in my head earlier. I was gonna ask just because uh, Toronto media, especially with like, uh, I'm a big hockey person, and uh, I follow a lot of people who who are Leafs fans, and I get like timelines full of people complaining about how <laughs> ridiculous the Toronto media is about hockey. Um, so with the Jays making this run is like is like are they that crazy about this Blue Jays run right now or is like like I guess what I'm asking like because I'm I live near Boston I'm no stranger to crazy media people are like are they all a bunch of Jays homers are they covering it pretty well or is this or is it basically like you sort of wince when you see a Blue Jays article that's not written by you guys or <laughs> um. A lot I feel like I feel like most media in Toronto was actually born and raised here, so they're definitely homers because they haven't seen a winning team in so long that they don't really know how to cover with uh, no bias. But it's good for the Blue Jays, like you said, because uh, beginning of every media session they ask about the Blue Jays, and the players have um, remarked that uh, no one really cares about them right now because they're they're bad this year. So it's kind of nice that they if right now if the Blue Jays were in the playoffs they'd be getting just killed in the media but they've kind of slid under the radar and actually uh, funnily enough uh, Jose Batista home run last night in game five um, the two Blue Jays players were there and they actually were the closest guys to catching the ball which is a pretty cool story yeah, and it uh, Maple Leafs players it, it, Maple- it was the two Leafs players, Maple Leafs players. Um, yeah. yeah and Sorry. I totally forgot he tweeted about it uh, Caudry <laughs> and Nick Spalling I believe and the whole media session today was about the Blue Jays, so they kind of avoided the fact that they're not a good team this year, which I'm sure even the coach is saying you can walk around the city pretty much unnoticed, which is not true. It's definitely hyperbole, but it's uh, yeah, it's good for them to get out of the shadow because they're just covered. It's it's madness when they're the only yeah. team in town. Maple Leafs, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's stop talking about hockey, please. <laughs> sorry, hockey. sorry. Um, <laughs> hockey, anyways. Uh, I'm just kidding. But what I was thinking, though, is that speaking of hockey, I think that MLB needs the version of a – they need a goon in MLB, just someone who goes out and fights oh, and then gosh. gets thrown out. But <laughs> no. that would be great. I don't know who the yeah. goon would be, but I One think – One of my favorite things about baseball is not no matter how stupid things get, they throw you out of the game for trying to punch someone in the face. Yeah. I think <laughs> – anyways. Uh, so speaking of guys who are uh, – well liked, but maybe not the best player. How big of a fan, Scott, are, are you of a Muninori Kawasaki fan? Are big time on a scale of nine to ten? How big of a fan are you? <laughs> of him personally, a ten. Of him as a baseball player, I'd never want him to see near the plate. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's in a perfect role right now because he's not on the roster, but he's allowed to be in the dugout. Yeah. So that's as good as it's going to get. His interviews are amazing to yeah. watch. He gave another good one yesterday. Yeah. And he, he pumps the team up like crazy. But he's, uh, he's he came close to being on the roster, too, with uh, with a too low injury, the injury. They were thinking that he might be, have to be another backup infielder. But What's man. his role? What, what What's his normal role 
I know he was up and down. I think I think he went between Buffalo and Toronto several times. Yeah, all what, year. What's what's his main role? Is he just solely a injury <sighs> reserve guy, or does he have a, a function while I go quiet? My dogs here. Um, he's he plays second base and shortstop. Um, I guess he would be the second or third backup infielder. But at times during this year and last year, he's actually got a long line of start of games where he started just due to injuries and stuff. And actually, this, this series, there was a time when Cliff Pennington had to go into the game, um, and they were thinking, maybe we should have carried Kawasaki. But I don't, you can't really see that guy ever stepping up to the plate in a playoff game. It would just yeah. be too painful. Yeah, okay. So I, and I knew he was solely backup, but I didn't know if he was totally a guy who's like total last kind of, all right, this is like the last guy we want to call on. But it does seem like he gets a lot of, he's maybe on that shuttle team between, you know, Triple A and the major. He's, he's not a terrible uh, utility infielder. He's, he's okay at defense. He's had some interesting offensive games. Obviously, he hits not very well, but he's had some games that are pretty magical, yeah. which has kind of made him a fan favorite. Okay. Last year was really the Kawasaki fever, just because the team wasn't that good, so everyone got latched onto that. Yeah. But this year, he's kind of been lost in the fray just because the team's doing so well, so that's good. Is he free agent soon, or...? Uh, I, I know last year he was about to go back to Japan to oh, play because yeah. he would have been a hero there. So I think he, I believe he's still just on the one-year contract. Okay, okay. Um, I'm, the I'm draft sure. says he's, he's, it says one year at .2 million. So okay. I'm guessing that's still on the, you know, the rookie contract. Yeah, at least minimum. Yeah. Yeah. Might be a minor league deal with his, okay. Uh, that's what I think. Yeah, reference is saying free agent in 2019. So he hasn't even hit arbitration. Oh, okay. Yeah, he must. He probably doesn't have a lot of service time. He's back and forth every week in the yeah. regular season. Okay, I can't. Yeah, I imagine he either gets non-tendered or they would just. I don't know. Uh, yeah. There's probably not a lot of want for Kawasaki. Yeah, they see minor league deals probably until he goes back to Japan, where yeah. he'd be a hero. So yeah. Okay. Um, so, a couple last questions to round kind of everything up. Um, what do you think about what's going to be the key for the Blue Jays uh, for this this seven game series? Hopefully, it's only four games for, for us. We'll hopefully, it's only four for us. <laughs> you think it's only four for you guys? But what's what do you think is going to be the Blue Jays' key to the, this, or maybe the couple keys or things that really go um, for? I think first of all, they need to get lefties out. Uh, Royals have a lot of lefties hitters that are good, and the Blue Jays have not very many lefty pitchers, which is a problem. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw last series, Brett Cecil, who's the star, all-star, lefties reliever for the Jays. He tore his calf, so he yeah. got taken off the roster, so he's out for this series, which left the Jays with one lefty reliever, reliever and Aaron Loop, who was a fringe guy to make the playoff roster to right. start off with because he's had a bad year. Um, so that's extremely scary because if they need a big uh, lefty out, you probably don't even go to Loop. You probably go to a right-hander just because they're a better pitcher. And then aside from that, they only have David Price um, yeah. in the starting um, rotation. So I looked this up earlier when you were talking about Gibbons' explanation for putting him in, and David Price, of course, has a reverse split anyway. So I yeah. mean, I know he was probably just answering it that way to you know have an answer prepared for it. But right-handed batters at two nineteen off uh, him, and lefties at two sixty-two. There's no real difference in like the OBP slugging percentage. Yeah, and they also, there's a couple of ready relievers in the bullpen that are okay. They have uh, good splits against lefties. But then he goes and uses a guy like Aaron Sanchez, who is not a guy you want facing left-handed pitchers, and he 
he gives them two innings, which obviously he's going to run into a few left-handed pitchers. And it's a kind of a disaster waiting to happen. As Royals fans, I would say, if you see Sanchez facing a string of lefties in this series, uh, you guys are in good shape. So, And are the... I thought the Jays at one point were pretty righty as far as the lineup goes. They were pretty righty heavy. Have they kind of calmed that down, or is it majority uh, no, righty? Yeah, there'll be seven righties okay. in the lineup, and then <laughs> Ryan Goins, Ryan Goins, and um, Ben Revere are the only lefties. And then against uh, righty pitchers, sometimes Justin Smoke finds his way into the lineup because he's a switch hitter. Yeah. Him and Chris Colabello are essentially at this point they're a straight pl- platoon. So Colabello faces lefties, and Smoke faces righties. Okay. Because the Royals only have good, uh, uh, not Royals have no good left-handed pitchers, uh, uh, really at all there. So it's pretty much all righties, which is good for the Royals in that scenario. Yeah, um, you're not kidding about these Sanchez splits. <laughs> and that's kind of strange because isn't you know Sanchez of course was a starter turned probably reliever for the rest of his career. I guess it's always been talked about what he will or won't do. Um, but what's the kind of thought on that? I mean, usually your closer is a guy who can get out both lefties and righties. Um, but it sounds like they're kind of using him in most high-level situations despite that, right? Yeah, he's been kind of tossed around. Osuna's the closer for sure. Oh, it's Osuna's closer. Yeah. Okay, you're right. Okay, but Sanchez, um, Sanchez has been given the eighth inning essentially for the whole season. And then it kind of became clear that Sanchez, oh, he has a sinker in relief. That's pretty much all he throws. And it gets, it's not fooling left-handers. It makes right-handers look silly, but it's not fooling left-handers at all. And yeah. uh, maybe in September, I think the, it kind of changed when the narrative kind of ramped up that he should not be seeing lefties. And they Gibbons split the eighth inning between uh, Sanchez and Cecil, which was great. But with Cecil being hurt again, Sanchez is back in, uh, I believe he pitched in every game of the ALDS okay. against lefties and righties. So he's kind of become... The war, uh, the horse for Gibbons, which is, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. He's definitely going to be used against lefties, and it's probably not going to work out so well for the Blue Jays. Yeah, because he throws, because he's fastball, well, sinker fastball. Uh, so yeah. the sinker will have, will get righties out for a left-hander. The curveball has, I think, reverse platoon splits too, so that would get righties out. The changeup has reverse platoon splits, so that'll get righties out. So yeah, I guess he doesn't really have a pitch to necessarily get. Lefties out, you know, kind of traditionally, at least it sounds like. The splits are just worth mentioning because they're insane. He's, um, so righties have hit 163, 242, 194 often with no home runs. <laughs> and lefties have hit 282, 390, 488 yeah. with nine dingers often. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, so what are they going to do with him? I mean, what do you think, Scott? I mean, that's, I know that he was a very big name as far as when he was starting in the minors. But it just doesn't seem like, at least in the bullpen, he can't get lefties out. What are they, you know, maybe what's going to happen? First round pick, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, he came, yeah, he came up as one of the big three stars with uh, Syndergaard and uh, Justin Nicolino, who was yeah. traded in the Marlins, Marlins deal. Right. And uh, he, was, he even started this year in the rotation. And he wasn't bad, but he wasn't still against lefties. He couldn't get them out. And after a little injury spell, he kind of came back and just shifted back to the bullpen. So... It wasn't until really this year where people realized he shouldn't be seeing lefties. And it's a good question because I'm not really sure what he does going forward. Because clearly he can get righties out uh, pretty easily. But that's not really the makings of an eighth inning guy. Uh, with Cecil, when they split innings, if Gibbons did that, he's not really a guy that does that effectively, that works the matchups that well. 
So I'm not sure if you would want to leave him in that role, but it'll be interesting to see going forward, especially because as a starter, Sanchez kind of mixed in a curveball and he had a cutter as well, which kind of made it more difficult for lefties. But now in uh, in the relief role, it's basically just 100% sinkers. Yeah. Which is, uh, yeah, it's interesting. So are they, are they carrying Loop on the roster too? Yeah, they would have to because he's going to be the only lefty reliever um, in the uh, in the bullpen. Yeah, because even lefties hit him. I mean, they don't kill him or anything, but they have a 342 OPP against them. Yeah, he used to be a really good loogie, but this year he's uh, he's been bad. He was demoted uh, in the middle of the season, yeah. What, and it kind of touching back on prospect stuff again, you mentioned a good point that, I mean, Ozuna is going to full-time be a closer, it sounds like, going forward, right? Yeah. Uh, he's going to be relieved. Well, uh, see, no. there's some arguing among fans because he came up as a starter. Yeah. And if you recall, him and Miguel Castro actually yeah. came up, best friends came up together. And it was assumed after this year they'll go to the rotation um, when they need them and they'll get stretched out again. Then obviously Castro was traded. And then Osuna, uh, there are there's some fans that say he should be stretched out for next season. But when you have such a good closer, I'm not sure if you really want to test him out because you don't know what's going to happen in the rotation. But, yeah, that's still up in the air, I would say. And, those are, been, and I'm just thinking that those are all really young guys. I mean, Ozuna was like 20 or something, and they yeah. said, you're a reliever. I mean, they just cut it off at this point, it sounds yeah, like. He, well, he, yeah, he launched from – both him and Castro launched from high A Dunedin to the major leagues this year. And this that was kind of the narrative at the beginning of the year. All the young players, they had Devin Travis, Ozuna – um, Castro, Norris, Pompey, and then about a month into the season, they just decided it wasn't working, and yeah. Norris got sent down, Castro got sent down, and Osuna was one of the few that actually survived, and has, he's been great, even in the playoffs, like, he he didn't waver at all, which is pretty amazing, and yeah. And he was, uh, Osuna was a Tommy John guy, if I'm right on that, right? Had Tommy John, uh-huh. I think he did. Leaf. Pretty. It seems like pretty much every Jays prospect had Tommy John coming up. But okay, yeah, I'm I'm not even positive he is. Yeah, and that's what I was thinking is that maybe that's part of you know why they're going to keep him in the bullpen. But my main point was just thinking of that. Yeah, it's kind of maybe not strange, but you know Sanchez is pro, you know he's been a bullpen guy. Ozuna's been a bullpen guy. They're kind of taking you know some of their younger starters, um, even if they're French starters, and making them bullpen guys. Um, so I wonder if, if that's maybe an organizational thing, or if this is just you know two specific cases. I think it's just two specific cases. I think they kind of just rushed them this year because they decided <coughs> they need to use them this year, and then we'll go from there. They tried Sanchez for as long as they could in the starting uh, role. Just didn't work out. He doesn't have enough good pitches. Uh, I think Osuno could, could succeed in the starting role. But I don't know. He's he's such a great closer. He doesn't have a large amount of pitches that could work, but he could. He has a few that he could work on that are fringe offerings right now. So it'll be interesting next year, especially if they lose David Price, Mark Burley retires, Dickey's getting old. Uh, it'll be. They don't really have a lot of starters, so it'll be interesting to see if they use Osuna and tried Sanchez again in the uh, rotation. Just did look up by the way. Uh, Osuna did have Tommy John surgery. Okay. Yeah, I think it was maybe two years ago. Yeah. Yeah, because I was thinking of Sergio Santos, former Blue Jay head, Tommy oh, Young, yes. too. So I was just thinking of guys that, I, I don't know why I maybe had those two names mixed up in my head. But yeah, completely different guys. One's way older than the other. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah. He had a lot of time off from it, too. It, like, he's only got, like, between, like, he had 69, 69 and two-thirds innings pitched in the regular season this year. And, like, compare that to the rest of even, like, his minor league career. That's... Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So 
it's a fun path to blowing hitters away in the postseason, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. And you know what, if that's what he's best kind of for, kind of same thing with um, like Miguel Amante for the Royals. That Yeah, I mean, if he ends up being a reliever, that's kind of just, I mean, that's the best you can get out of him. And not that yeah. Osuna wasn't any good as a starter, but I mean, seems like his role right now is a shutdown closer, which has a tremendous amount of value, especially for his age, given that, you know, I'd imagine they could sign him right now. Not that you would maybe want to sign a reliever long term, but, you know, imagine they could probably sign him for several years, uh, extending, you know, into free agency um, if they wanted to, at least given his age and everything. So, okay. Well, uh, we've got just two quick questions. Scott, uh, Matt keyed us in on some Toronto geography questions. Uh, they're not too tough, but one question Do you live north or south of Bloor, Bloor Street? Have you been to Bloor Street? Is Bloor Street a thing? Uh, yeah, it's actually, I'm uh, thinking of moving right around there pretty soon. So I would have to answer, in the next month or two, I would have to answer just south. South is the cool place? Because I don't even know if Matt, Matt, are you still even, are you asleep right now, Matt? I just woke up. Okay, cool, thanks. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're south of Bloor Street, right? Me? Yeah, no, I'm north. I'm in the uncool neighborhood. That's the uncool neighborhood, north of Bloor yeah, Street. Yeah, where all old people live up here. The old people <laughs> live in that? Okay. Um, and then... Why is Young Street spelled so weird, Scott? That's a good question. I actually never noticed it until I was maybe 15 or 16. I saw a street sign and didn't know what street it was. And then I realized that I never actually knew how it was spelled. It's I have no explanation. Can you spell it for the uh, listeners? Ooh. I think it's Y-O-U-N-G-E. Yeah. No, 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 no. Oh, no. Oh, that's how I thought it was spelled, too. Oh. Y-O-N-G-E. What is it? Is it Y-O-N-G-E? Oh, it, it might be. I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen it. Okay, well, well yeah, I think you might be right, yeah. Okay, uh, we are just giving you a hard time with us. Okay, good. All right, well, obviously, Scott, thanks a ton for coming on. Uh, good luck to the Blue Jays. Um, uh, even if they beat the Royals, good luck in the World Series and everything. The Mets just clinched as well. Um, yeah. If you guys want a timestamp, uh, which is against my pick, I got that wrong. Um, so perfect. All right, uh, Gus, Matt, thanks for Just joining. before I go, can I have yeah. one question for you yeah, guys? sure. Over under for you guys. How many times do the benches clear this series? I was thinking two. about that today. Minus two. two. Uh man. Over under. <laughs> um. Well, if I'm handicapping, I'm gonna make it two and a half so I can make more money. But oh. uh, the, <laughs> but yeah. Um. I think that this series is gonna be crazy. Just pretty much on every level. Just because like it's two really good teams, way different styles, especially the way that you know Royals have. Royals are more about the relievers. Toronto more about you know Price and the uh, Price and Stroman come back, like working the count for, and hitting the dingers for the Jays, singles train for the Royals, and then I really don't think they like each other very much. So no. if you were I'm to pick gonna... two, I would say if you were to take, pick two teams that to go in a series and just absolutely hate each other, I would say these two teams because so Toronto yeah, Toronto cleared the benches twice in an inning against the Rangers, who they don't even have any bad blood with. So this should be uh, this should be interesting. Yeah, um, yeah. Both yeah, will be starting twice. Too. Yeah, both okay. I'm gonna go three and a half for my for my over Well, and if Sanchez pitched every game of the ALDS, he might pitch every game of <laughs> yeah. the ALCS, and he was one of the culprits of the last fight, kind of. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be quite a gong show. Yeah. Um, did you have any take, Scott, on the um, the Russell Martin? Uh, Odor uh, mishap the other day? Uh, it's tough. That The call is technically right. The only thing that most Toronto fans were angry about was the umpire waving his hands and saying no. Yeah. But really, that holds no actual like value in the rules because the play was still ongoing. Oh, really? And yeah. 
and the and the Jays, if you look at the replay, none of them are going to get the ball. But if if that was how they got eliminated, it would be the most Toronto sports <laughs> event ever. It happens every, every Toronto sports team. So luckily they came back and it didn't matter. But yeah, it was I was uh, I was sweating. Did you watch the was it the seventh inning or eighth inning? Did you whatever inning that was? Did you watch the full thing there? Oh yeah, yeah. Pretty pumped. I, I mean, that was an insane inning, by the way. For it's yeah, it's got to be. Uh, I wrote a post about it with timestamps for uh, every uh, every couple of minutes what had happened, and it's it's like fifty three minutes of the most amazing yeah. baseball I've ever seen. It, it was, was super long. It was a really long inning, wasn't? It? I, yeah, I was thinking it was so insanely long. Yeah, the top half had the Martin uh, error, and then in the bottom half you have the three Andrews mistakes and the home run. It was just madness. Yeah. Beer cans were thrown. It was a great. Oh, yeah, uh, that was embarrassing. Really excited there. So, well, everybody, uh, obviously, those of you listening, no Royals review. Um, definitely check out Bluebird Banter. Like I said, they're the kind of sister site of the Royals SB Nation blog. Uh, Bluebird Banter has awesome coverage for the Blue Jays. Um, if you want the kind of enemy point of view, essentially, for the next <laughs> uh, seven games, um, again, hopefully only four, but the next seven games, uh, Bluebird Banter, place to go. Um, Scott, I don't know. Are you on Twitter? We always give a Twitter shout out. Are you on Twitter? Uh, not really. I don't use it. I just use it for tracking other people, but not okay. really using it myself. Okay. All right. Well, uh, Scott's writings on there. Um, big shout out to all of them. I mean, they, like I said, want a great site over there. Um, what's his name? Tom. I was talking to Tom earlier. Tom is great. Uh, minor yeah. league, all the writers there. So definitely yeah. check that out. Uh, thanks for coming on to us scott uh, coming on to us that's terrible <laughs> thank you for coming on with us uh, it's a good way to end the night yeah anyways it's it's past bedtimes here in the midwest and over on the east coast for you folks so all right well uh gus matt scott anything last words to say uh no really thanks for having me hope it's a good series all right excellent all right gus matt scott uh fellas everybody have a good night and uh thanks for listening um royals readers and have a uh, many many good days mm-hmm.